0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast, An Intelligent Look at Terrorism. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. We are now up to episode 14, and in keeping with the trend over the past few episodes, I want to look today at another form of religious terrorism. These episodes are a bit of a precursor, if you'd like, for my forthcoming book, When Religion Kills?, to be published this December by Lynn Reiner in the United States. If you go to the Lynn Reiner webpage, you can see a description, a very short description of the book that's coming out. I do encourage you to have a look. I'd love to for you to pick it up, have a read and get back to me. And so today's episode will be the last in this look at other forms of religious-based terrorism outside of Islamic terrorism, which is what I focus on mostly in my first four books. And today's theme is Christian Terrorism, or Christian Extremism, a term that would probably offend some, but no more so than Buddhist Terrorism or Jewish Terrorism, or for the vast majority of Muslims Islamic Terrorism would be offensive. And yet, in light of a lot of events that have happened around the world recently, historically, I think it's important to talk about this notion of whether or not we can describe certain actors as Christian Terrorists, I'm a big believer in intellectual honesty and not shying away from terms that may be a little controversial, maybe stretching the point a little bit. And I do think that if I can justify talking about Islamic terrorism and Buddhist terrorism and Hindu terrorism, I can do so for Christian terrorism. And I hope by the end of this podcast that you will at least see that there's some justification in referring to this notion that, yes, Christians, uh, very devout, believing Christians, can actually partake in acts of heinous violence, despite the fact that one of the major, perhaps the most important tenet of Christianity is nonviolence, going back to the founder of the faith, Jesus Christ, who was clearly a man who did not like violence. I want to start this podcast with talking a little bit about a video I watched about three weeks ago, I saw it on the vice.com website, and this was a video, a very bizarre video, of a group of individuals in, I believe, Northeastern United States, so the New England area, who are very devout Christians, very prayerful people, who are led by the son of Sun Young Moon. Yes, they, the, the head of the Moonies, remember them from the 80s and 90s, we all probably remember some of the wackier things he said and did and who he claimed to be probably have images of the mass weddings of all these people in the same, the grooms in the same black tuxes and the women in the same white veil dresses, hundreds if not thousands being married at the same time by this uh, preacher, if you will. Well, it turns out his son is around living in the States. He's an American citizen and he has started his own church and to say that some of the teachings of this church are a little odd would be uh, be, be would be very generous in nature. What I got from the video is that this individual is a very strong believer in the uh, second amendment. Of course, in the United States this is the right to bear arms. I don't want to get into an argument about the right to bear arms. It's not part of this podcast and it's it's interesting but it's very tangential to what I want to talk about. But what was fascinating about this this son of of the Reverend Moon is That he sees himself as a king. He is this religious preacher. He wears a crown made of spent uh, bullet casings and He's basically has reinterpreted Christian and Old Testament texts to claim that this rod of iron that Believers are supposed to wield against the unbelievers is actually an AR-15 which is an automatic weapon in, you know That's used by many people in the United States protected under the Second Amendment Uh, To say this is a misinterpretation of Scripture is probably a minimum true. I don't want to get into how different people look at uh, different ways of of reading and understanding Scripture. It's a a, a no-win situation from my perspective. But what struck me was this marriage between violence and Christianity. Now, I'm not calling this group a bunch of terrorists. There's nothing that I saw in the video or anything else that I saw that suggested that they, in fact, carried out violent action. I would call them extreme I certainly would call them non-normative when it comes to Christianity. But the point I'm trying to make here today is that there are actually groups for whom Christianity is one of their most important underpinnings. They cite biblical texts. They will cite notions that Christianity is somehow under threat and must be defended. And that they can use their faith to actually carry out acts of violence and there's a bunch of examples we're going to go through today but just i mean let's just look at a couple of examples both recent and historical there was a group in the United states known as the Phineas priests um, some people call them god's holy warriors for the white race only of course and this this derives from the biblical story of Phineas and the people who now believe in this believe it justifies the killing of interracial couples in the name of God. Many members of the right-wing militias in the United States believe that the US Constitution was in fact divinely inspired and that the Founding Fathers were chosen and led by God to create the United States. And here's a quote from one of these groups. The Christian faith was the anchor of the Founding Fathers of the United States and people of faith, Christians in particular, recognized that God is the source of all things and that rights come from God alone. Now again, uh, having that belief does not make you a terrorist, does not make you an extremist, but we do know that the militias often will use this notion that the United States was some co- some kind of city on the hill inspired by God to, in fact, go on to carry out violent actions. The freemen on the land are a good example. They, they don't believe they have to pay taxes or, or believe in any government because they, in fact, are, are governed by God. Uh, the Knights Templar is a Christian organization, I guess you could call it, and, and they've also been uh, associated with acts of violence in the name of God. And the list goes on and on and on. The American political scientist Francis Fukuyama, of course, he's most famous for his notion of the end of history after the fall of the, the Soviet Union, has an interesting quote. He says, the religious right tells a, a, a story. You are members of a great community of believers that has been betrayed by non-believers, This betrayal has led to your impoverishment and is a crime against God. So again, bringing in this notion that we are chosen by God, that our faith is the predominant one, our faith is the most valid one, and it must remain predominant. And we're seeing this with groups in the United States in particular, but also in Western Europe, who are anti-immigrant, they're anti-Muslim, they're anti-LGBTQ, They're anti just about anything else that goes against this notion that not only Christians, but more narrowly, white Christians should have predominance in society. And we're seeing these groups become increasingly violent. Some of these groups will use very blatant Christian symbols in their memorabilia and their logos. You know, the Stormfront uses uh, the Celtic cross or Odin's cross. The Iron Cross of Nazi Germany is used by... By, by many groups. There's often this notion of the of Crusades. The Crusades are seen as this great time in Christian history where Christianity defeated or tr- helped to defeat the onslaught of Islam. You go back historically, there's no question that Islam was a, an empire. It was a, an ambitious and aggressive empire that controlled all the Middle East, North Africa and parts of Eastern Europe. And then the Crusades was some kind of a God-directed counterattack against these infidels, against these non-believers. So you see an awful lot of reference to Crusaders and the Crusades in some of the literature. So these groups who define themselves as Christian, they define themselves as white, not surprisingly carry out a lot of actions that are against Muslims. Anti-Muslim violence is rampant. We only have to look at the attacks on the mosque in Christchurch. We'll get back to that in a second. They're obviously also very anti-Semitic. We saw the attacks on the, on the synagogue in Pittsburgh. And anti-Semitism is a, a very, very prevalent theme amongst Christian extremists going way, way back in history. We've seen some actions of anti-Sikh uh, actions by, by Christian extremists. But the, the question I need to answer or attempt to answer today is, well, how Christian is this? Is this truly Christian extremism, or is this just nationalism, or is it racism, or is it fascism, or is it something else? Is it some kind of ism? And I think there's no question that, as I've said in previous podcast, that terrorism and terrorist motivations are very complicated. It is rare for someone to have only one thing in mind or draw from one source to justify the use of violence. So there's no question that amongst certain far-right groups, they are heavily racist groups. They are heavily in favor of limiting immigration, preventing certain races from coming to the country. There are a lot of talk about being taken over. We talk about uh, Le Grand Remplacement, the Great Replacement Theory by a French right-wing militant, about how white Christian populations are being outbred through immigration to the fact that People, largely Muslims, but not exclusively Muslims, are coming to the West. They're having large families and they are taking over in a sense. These groups are also, they blame the Jews. They blame the Jews for everything as they have for a very, very long time. But for me, from a terrorism analysis perspective, if we're going to call this thing Christian extremism, it's really important that we look at the actual sources of, What is it that they are quoting? What is it they are relying on? What is it they are citing? And I want to talk in some detail about uh, two manifestos that have come out in the past 10 years. Both of these were left by terrorists, both of whom survived their terrorist attacks, and who wrote, at least in one case, a 1,500-page document that is quite rambling, but also quite illustrative in terms of what he uses to justify the actions that he took. I'm I'm referring, of course, to Anders Breivik. He's the Norwegian terrorist who exploded a bomb outside the Norwegian parliament and then went on to attack a bunch of young, not politicians, I guess, call them young liberals in, in Norway in 2011 and 75 people in all died. Within his manifesto, it's really interesting. He does cite an awful lot of, texts from the Old Testament and from the New Testament and I won't go I won't read them all there's quite a few of them but here's one from the book of Samuel quote "Each of you strap on your sword so they did and David strapped on his as well about 400 men went up with David etc etc. there is talk about the kingdom of God is not in word but in power that's from Corinthians he went on to say, Each Christian must now make their own personal decision on all of this. You can either choose to learn how to rise up in the power of your Lord and Savior and learn how to become a true warrior in the Lord, or you can continue to keep your head in the sand and oppressor after oppressor keep beating you down. The choice is yours. So what he's done is he's taken these texts, and obviously you know the Old Testament and the New Testament are very, very long books, and he's extracted the ones that he feels... He could use to point to to say, hey, this is what the Bible's saying about violence. This is what the Bible is saying in terms of what I need to do to protect my own Christianity and the Christianity of others and how to protect our majority status as citizens. Moving on to the attack in Christchurch, uh, just very, very recently, the, similarly, we had an awful lot of um, references to Christian beliefs. In the shorter manifesto, this is Brendan Tarrant. his manifesto was only about 85 pages long. Very, very hard to get because it was banned by the New Zealand government, but I did get a copy of it. A lot of very anti-Islamic rhetoric within his manifesto. He claims uh, one of the reasons why he carried out the attack was, quote, to take revenge for the enslavement of millions of Europeans taken from their lands by the Islamic slavers. I'm assuming this is a reference to f- hundreds of years ago where uh, Islamic forces would often raid towns along the coast of the Mediterranean and, and capture people and take them to be enslaved in Algiers, for example, in North Africa. I guess that's kind of what's happening there. One of the more interesting things that Turan did in his attack was he justified the killing of Muslims, the taking of Muslim lives, as retribution for a terrorist attack in 2017 in Stockholm, in which a young girl was killed, he names the girl. This is an attack carried out by a Uzbek, uh, driving a car into a very crowded shopping district in, in downtown Stockholm. And he says, I could no longer ignore the attacks. They were attacks on my people, attacks on my culture, attacks on my faith, and attacks on my soul. They will not be ignored. He does talk about why he chose the mosques in Christchurch and in New Zealand and he claims that in fact the premise was a former church which had been desecrated by being converted to a mosque and therefore he had to attack that to reestablish the primacy of Christianity. He cites the whole Islamic birth rate trope about how they're outperforming and outbreeding people. This goes back again to the the great replacement of the Grand Plasma. And he says a few other things that are that I, again, I think really point to what he was trying to get at. He says, quote, the people worthy of glory, the people blessed by God our Lord, moan and fall under the weight of these outrages and most shameful humiliations. The race of the elect suffers outrageous persecutions. And the impious race of the Saracens, Saracens is another word for Muslims, respects neither the virgins of the Lord. Or the colleges of priests. they run over the weak and the elderly, they seize the children from their mothers so that they may forget among the barbarians the name of God. That perverse nation profanes the hospices. the temple of the Lord is treated like a criminal and the ornaments of the and the, and the ornaments of the sanctuary are robbed. And he goes on and on and I'll just I'll finish with one more. He, he says, uh, quote, what would Pope Urban II do? And if, for those who aren't up in their history, uh, Pope Urban II was in fact the Pope who launched the very very first crusade in 1095. This was an effort to take back the Holy Lands that was occupied by uh, Islamic Empire at the time. And Pope Urban II launched the crusade with his very famous phrase, which in early French, vulgar Latin, whatever you want to call it, was uh, Deus le Volt, or God wills it. In other words, I'm sending you as God's warriors. God wants you to go and pick up the sword and kill the infidels who have desecrated our, our, our holy sites in, 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 uh, in Jerusalem. I could go on. The civil war in the Balkans in the early 1990s was very much a Christian war against Muslims. Both Serbs and to a lesser extent Croats were using Christian images to justify the killing of Bosnian Muslims. We're seeing a similar thing happening in, in Ukraine now. This is actually kind of Christian-on-Christian Christian violence between the Orthodox in Russia and the Orthodox in, in Ukraine. The point that I'm trying to get here is that these people choose these texts for a reason. These are not random extracts from the Old Testament and New Testament. Even if Christianity normally is not associated with violence, these terrorists, what they've been able to do is to frame what they're doing in terms of protecting Christianity from its enemies, which is not something we normally talk about. This is something from an earlier time in Christianity, in a time where, yes, Christianity was being threatened largely by Islamic forces, Islamic armies that came marching out of the Middle East and, and took up a lot of this, this area. But it's not something that we talk about nowadays. And yet it's being used as a rallying cry, if you will, for people who are afraid and people who believe in this mythology that somehow their way of life is being taken over, that it is being dominated by immigrants. These immigrants have different faiths. They're certainly not Christian. They have different cultures. They have different traditions. They're trying to change things and change things not for the better in, in the eyes of these people. And so they're associating Christianity with A, racial purity, B, a European tradition or European culture. And they're using this to try to galvanize people into acting. That if you don't pick up arms, if you don't join the cause, we're going to get swamped. We're going to lose the control we have versus, we're going to lose our dominance. We're going to lose our majority status. And we we will become the slaves. We will become the ones who are oppressed and subject to the whims and demands of others. You see a lot of these militia and right-wing groups talk about, you know, the hijabs being worn in the streets and how different cultures are getting their rights recognized. I just read a a really interesting tweet this morning. This is kind of related in a tangential way of a woman who was on a plane in the United States and speaking Spanish, and the man beside her told her to shut up and stop speaking Spanish, as if Spanish was not a recognized language in the United States. And, of course, this is part and parcel of a movement whereby English dominant, white dominant, and Christian dominant. I'm not trying to uh, conflate all these things that would be incorrect from, a, from a, an analytical or intellectual perspective, but there are elements to this. And I think that if we're going to be honest, when we talk about terrorism, and we talk about mo- some of the motivations of terrorism, we have to acknowledge that just as for certain terrorists who happen to be Muslim, or terrorists who happen to be Hindu, or Buddhist, or Jewish, or Sikh, for certain people, their Christianity is something that's worth fighting for, and it's worth killing for, and in some cases, it's worth dying for. So this is a motivation. And I do think that the use of these texts, and the use of these symbols, and the use of Christian history, which is often brought up. You hear a lot about the Gates of Vienna, which was the the Great Stand in in 1684, whereby the Muslim army was rebuffed from taking over Vienna. And had they taken Vienna, they probably would have, or they could have marched on to take the rest of Western Europe. They're bringing up these historic analogs of how Christianity, when it was threatened, the the few and the brave and and the most stolid people and the most faithful people took up arms and defended their faith from the enemy and they succeeded and they won. And so I think that this is all part and parcel of a movement that is at a minimum intolerant It certainly is not welcome to new ideas. It's not welcome to new cultures, new cuisines, new ways of speaking, new ways of thinking. And in the worst case scenario, we see acts of violence. And there's a lot of talk these days about the rise of the far right. Well, they've been there forever. But a lot of analysts and pundits have said, you know, we've been focusing far too long on Islamic extremism. Where You know, no one's doing anything with the far right. And there's some truth to that, certainly in, in my time at CSIS. The, the resources devoted to Islamic extremism far outweighed those devoted to right-wing extremism, and rightfully so, because the threat from Islamic extremism was much, much greater than that from the far right. That, in fact, may be changing. I don't know. I'm, I, the jury's still out as far as I'm concerned on that. But the point is, is that there is a threat from right-wing extremism. And, you know, speaking as a Canadian, the single largest attack in Canada in the post-9-11 period was carried out in a mosque in Quebec City by a right-wing extremist. And I don't know a lot about the perpetrator, Alexandre Bissonnette, but I'd be very surprised if in some of the material that he had consumed prior to carrying out his attack, there wasn't some stuff that talked about Christian extremism and talked about the need to kill the Muslims who were threatening Christian beliefs and threatening Christian superiority in a country like Canada. So I, I think it's really important that as those who are interested in terrorism, interested in studying terrorism, learning about it, understanding it, that we have to acknowledge that for a certain, thankfully, very small part of the population, a faith that is, that is otherwise known as a nonviolent faith, i.e. Christianity, has become violent. And again, this is perfectly in keeping with the kinds of things I've been talking about. There are different forms of religion. There, there's what we call normative or mainstream religion. There are, there are fundamentalist forms of religion. There are liberal forms of religion. And there are extreme forms of religion. And in, 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 when you look at extreme forms of religion, in some cases, those extreme forms become violent. This is why we have Islamic terrorists. This is why we have Hindu terrorists. This is why we have Buddhist terrorists. This is why we have Jewish terrorists. And this is why we have Christian terrorists. So you may take offense to this juxtaposition of Christianity and terrorism. I don't see how you can argue around it. I'm not saying it is... Acceptable. I'm not saying it's representative, but I would also argue that Islamic extremists are also not representative. They're not normative. They're not mainstream Muslims. They are extreme and they are violent. I have now gone through the major religions when it comes to terrorism. I'm not going to flog this horse anymore. I think I've made my point. The next podcast that you'll listen to will be an Ask Phil podcast. I've received uh, some submissions from my loyal listeners, if I can call them that, to address certain issues in my next podcast. I will uh, publish a list on on Twitter and on LinkedIn as to what the questions will be. You can expect to hear that podcast in a fortnight. In the meantime, if you have any thoughts, any reactions to this podcast today, I would ask that you please get a hold of me, leave the comments at the end of the podcast, You can reach me on LinkedIn, you can get me on Twitter at Borealis Saves, on Gmail, BorealisRisk at gmail.com, or on Facebook. I'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Until then, stay safe.